I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Hello, everybody. It's Carrie Benedetta. And my guest tonight, uh, none other than Dr. Adam Fraser. And um, you won't guess which end of the screen he is. And Jim <laughs> O'Reilly. And uh, we're talking about all things education. Hello, Adam. And hi, Rashid. Hi, Carrie. And thank you for inviting me. Let's talk for the next 45 minutes on um, some of the expertise that you both have and also what you've been noticing in education. And Adam, you've had a great career in education and particularly your greatest love, apart from your um, Iron Maiden concert, is research. But you're not just a researcher. You've had just a release of a brand new edition, Adam Fraser's. We've done a lot of research in education. The Flourish Movement has been one very large project that we've been working on for four years now, uh, which is around the well-being and effectiveness of school leaders. Yeah, we just wrapped up a big piece of research where we've looked at the how schools responded to the COVID lockdown, particularly schools in New South Wales is the main focus of our research just because of accessibility. We looked at the parents' response to that, first of all. So we've released that research and it was exceptionally positive and amazing. Like, Scores are off the charts. Um, we've also looked at how staff and teachers felt the leaders handled that. Piece of research we're about to release. But I, I mean, just to talk about that COVID period, which is just extraordinary if you think about how quickly schools had to adapt and evolve. That's right. I mean, if you said to the education department, let's just homeschool everyone. That'd be a three-year project. We'd have McKinsey, we'd have Bain Consulting, but schools did it so well and so fast. And I, I think the COVID thing really proves what educators can do when everyone just gets out of their way. Ah, see, I think that's the magic word. And the reason I have Rashin with you tonight is um, Rasheen's background is in organisational development and she's a specialist in that, has had a great career, received many awards for her work, in particular with online learning and alternative ways of teaching that are not face-to-face. But her capacity to think the big picture and to look ahead down the line is absolutely amazing. And I had the great pleasure of working with Rasheen for a number of years in uh, People and Culture. I've got a chat running here as well. So we've got Take Charge Educational Consulting. That's Rebecca Beasley. She's saying it's interesting to see that schools are capable of when they had autonomy and when they didn't have to deal with reels of red tape. One of the things that I'm really keen to hear a little bit more about with your research that you've done, um, Adam, is what are those things that were pushed out of the way? And if they were pushed out out of the way, were they needed? And if they weren't needed, why are we doing them? Yeah. 
I'm really keen to look at how we might be learning from this period in time and uh, streamlining some of the practices that we currently have in schools that I think add far too much red tape to what schools have to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then what we can do to really trust our teachers to get on with the job of teaching, which they're just so good at. Yeah. So is that a direct question about what? It kind of is. You were saying that you spoke to the staff about how they felt about how leaders handled it. And I just wondered if they also spoke about the things that they let go. I was really embarrassed talking about this to you because I feel inadequate. But first of all, here's what's really interesting. In hundreds of educators, we had taken a baseline of their well-being in 2019 and we compared it to their uh, mental health, well-being, happiness, satisfaction in life in COVID. And what we saw was it, it didn't drop, like their well-being or mental health actually stayed stable. So what was really interesting is that if you think of the media and in many parts, people's mental health has regressed, but educators have stayed really stable. Well, there are many factors, but one of the things was that educators were saying, this is kind of like our Super Bowl. Like people gave us, we had autonomy, people got out of our way, and principal said, I led the way I've always wanted to lead. Teacher said, I taught the way I've always wanted to teach. And the sense of empowerment counteracted the stress. And having said that, like, you guys know this better than me, but educators are tough. They're used to stress. They're used to high pressure. And the other thing that happened, and this is both staff and leaders' feedback, is that we collaborated, we shared resources, people stepped up. There were young people who were assuming positions of leadership because they had the knowledge to lead the piece of work. So it wasn't that You've only been here a couple of years, so you're not in charge of that. They had the skills, so they were stepping up. And what, what they said is, we've just never worked so well together. One of the things they said is that our curriculum is so jammed, and I know, but you know, all these extracurricular things that we have to do, that we have to jam in as well as the learning. One of the things they said is not having parents on site saves so much time. <laughs> <laughs> That surprises me because I actually um, would have thought that there would be more engagement with the parents online. Yeah, but what I was saying is that when they're not on site, you know, we're having to have multiple meetings or, you know, they pull us aside and I lose a lot of time. The communication went up with parents during COVID, but obviously digitally. Yeah, so they were some of the factors that came up. One of the things that I really liked about what you just said was that it opened up opportunity for those who really have the possibility of leadership in the future, um, but perhaps don't have a chance to do it in a normal school setting. But in this context, they can, they can step up and they can um, take initiative and they can do things their way. So I think that's one of the great outcomes of this COVID period. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of others as well that I've seen and that idea of flipping the classroom where the students do the learning content, the content of the curriculum, they learn that and then the teacher is there to guide them in the areas where they're struggling. So where they have questions and where they struggle as opposed to 
giving all of the information to yeah. everyone at the same time, at yeah. the same pace. So um, mm. some changes there that I think are exciting and that will continue, I suspect, beyond the remote learning. Yeah. I was working with a leadership team last week and then the week before with a whole staff and we, we did a variety of masterclasses basically on leadership and change, but with an EI focus. And listening to the leadership team last week was absolutely beautiful. They were talking about, I just took the Lego in and in we went and off they went to build and they talked to each other. And what I, I said, I'm going to listen. All I'm going to do is listen. And so they just talked about where they felt the opportunities to lead differently were. We all came together. Nothing was too difficult to solve. And they were very pleased to have a slim lined curriculum. That was one of the advantages. So that marries up with what you're saying, Adam, as well. Uh, but it was a joy just to listen to them. And they, you know, they were quite philosophical and they believe that their students have not had a huge learning loss um, over the time because that's been quite topical as well. I think it's very important to remember, and that is that we've always done measures of learning through our NAPLANs and our HSCs and then, of course, the ATAR. But yeah. we know that those are diminishing in importance and they have been for a while, but this has been a circuit breaker, COVID and the remote learning, a circuit breaker on that to the point where an ATAR is no longer going to be important at all. And we know already how our students are yeah. going to do at HSC because we've got some really good predictive data around that. Um, and the same for NAPLAN. So the question then becomes, well, what are some of the ways in which we can be much more formative about measuring the growth of students when we know that our teachers are doing that formative assessment? Yeah all the time and we also know that the future of work is looking very very different and the skills that are needed there you know skills of creative thinking the critical thinking yeah. ethical understanding you know the personal attributes of emotional intelligence are all going to be so needed we need to find ways to really lift mm. our understanding of, of how teachers are developing those in our students and measuring that in some way it's, it's funny you say that We've been reflecting on, because like research and education, we do a lot in corporations. And so we do a lot of leadership programs and we were reviewing the, the issues that leaders talked about. And it's all social. It's all social and emotional. Well, it's all about people, isn't it? No matter what job we have, no matter what work we do, it's all about the people. So the, that relationship and the culture of possibility is critical. I'm going to ask you, in your book, Adam, your uh, titled Thrive, you talk about struggle. And I know there would have been a percentage of our teachers, a percentage of our leaders, a percentage of our families and a percentage of our students who have been struggling and will continue to struggle. And I think for all of us, there are moments where we do all struggle during our lifetime. But with COVID and different circumstances, whether it's socioeconomic group, whether it's mental health. Struggle is an interesting concept. So I was going to ask you a little bit about how you explain and how you define this word. Um, yeah, so how the book Strive came about is that we were doing a 10-year research project with Deakin University and we're looking at transformation. Specifically, how does an organisation evolve to stay commercially successful? But what we came up against time and time again is that the block to transformation is that people cannot sit with struggle and discomfort. 
As we try to evolve and innovate and change, the discomfort makes us continually retreat from it. People said, I evolve the most and I feel best about myself when I overcome things that I don't want to do and I'm terrified of. We've demonised negative emotion for too long. And what Strive is looking at is how do we have a more functional relationship with struggle? You know, whether it's learning, whether it's trying to manage a, a fallout in a friendship group, whether it's yeah. a teacher trying to evolve the pedagogy and how they approach. A little bit of struggle I don't think ever hurt anybody. And I think Adam's got the research now to back that up. And we know how what that feeling of satisfaction is, even though it might have taken us ages, but we actually did it. And that you're looking back on it going, wow, I never thought I could. But for our kids, I think that's really important um, that they do have the skills to be able to be inquisitive and to synthesise and to critically think about things. Mm. They do. And, and for me, learning is in the struggle. I think you need to be in a zone that where you're uncomfortable to really stretch your learning otherwise it's too easy if it was that easy we'd all be you know we'd all be Dr Adam Fraser <laughs> we really need to start to learn to be uncomfortable in those zones where we're stretched I'm in one at the moment in my current work I've got a huge challenge which is organizational development and structure for uh, pre-learning to post-learning precincts Wow. It's all students going through challenge and entrepreneurship, um, being faced with the local, social, global issues that they have to solve. The whole curriculum is integrated and through inquiry learning. It's super, super exciting and amazing uh, teachers and school leaders to get to work with. But really, you know, I'm feeling a stretch there. I'm thinking, wow can I do this? Can I do this? But then I also recognize that if I wasn't feeling that way, I would be bored. Yeah. So mm. I, I love to feel that struggle because I know how great it feels whenever you are able to come to a collaborative solution where everyone is feeling they've been part of what that development is. Right. Can I ask you a question? Sorry to hijack this for a moment, but like you go. do the properly hard like you get in the trenches with those people and literally guide them through transformation, which is one of the most difficult confronting things. And, you know, to make it simple, to evolve, we have to do it towards behaviour, but we often choose the away from behaviour because it's easier or it's, it's less confronting because you're very successful in your work to enable people to handle that struggle do you notice there's certain characteristics of people that evolve versus those that get left behind? Yeah, I guess you will always see that one of the core values that sits at the heart of any context where there's significant change or innovation happening is that um, trust that is there yeah. and that needs to be established so that we can all work together effectively and feel that it's okay if what you're putting forward isn't quite right, you know, it's fine if it doesn't work, but let's take a risk, let's give things a go. And so having leaders who have those sorts of values at their heart, that it's all about trust and enabling mm. a culture 
where everyone can be their best. I'd say that that's absolutely critical to success. I can see, I, I know I've had situations where that has been the case and others where it hasn't. And where Listen. it hasn't, you just don't get anything that embeds. You'll get some superficial changes. You'll get some people who'll come with you on the journey, but you won't get an embedding in the culture. So that's mm. been my experience in working with schools. I would say you're spot on because Alex is also in the chat and she was just saying, trust yeah. is the key. Yeah. Trust is the key. And they're those relational skills that go with all the other requirements of leadership that bring people along. And yeah, you get the discretionary effort. You get better and bigger than you ever thought before. And when you're going into an environment where, you know, you could have a lot of resistance there, um, maybe there's been a, a big change that's happened recently and perhaps there's some ill feeling or a bit of a resistance to extra administ perceived administrative load through the change or whatever that might be. It's really important in that situation to be bringing in all of those people who are feeling um, that they haven't been heard mm. or that they don't agree with the change that's coming mm. to pass so that they yeah. can be part of the, and I hate to use the word journey because it's so cliched, but the journey of the change towards a solution. So um, I do try to work in that way. It's highly collaborative and it's the best fun for me yeah. when it's collaborative like that. So both of you work with leaders and teachers. So if we were to say, what could we take from this COVID experience from a pandemic that has abruptly disrupted lots of the ways of doing things, what could we take from it at the moment that we believe would be a lay down mazir? You cannot do without it. What do you think there could be that we would remain, we would keep, and perhaps something that we've noticed or observed? about this time, especially around leadership. I'm happy to say that drop the admin, you know, there are so many things that we put on our teachers that they don't need to be doing. Uh, mm. I would be asking teachers, and I intend to do this when I go in to work with these pre to post schools, well, what are the things that you didn't do? Can I have a list, please? <laughs> I want to have a look at whether we really need to do those things or whether we can throw yeah. those out with the... Uh, the learning has got to be in the collaboration. It's got to be in teachers being able to so quickly respond to a crisis, their ability to, to be agile and adapt what they do mm. and to lead how they do it without having to be told what needs to be taught in what um, order and how many hours. Yeah. And if you had a staff that is very much used to that style of leadership, that's self-directed and it's really a coaching, a coaching way of being, isn't it? It's a coaching culture that they have because the conversations are around what's your greatest challenge? What are you thinking? What can you let go of? What will you keep going on? What are you going to try? It becomes a rich place for looking for solutions and looking outside the usual lens. So I take my hat off to the absolute pressure that I believe the leadership teams in all our schools have been under, to the administrators and even the policy makers, the directors of uh, regions, systems. But I do think there would be a percentage of the population, of their teaching population, who didn't find the online as easy at all and others who found it life invigorating. You know, they just went, yeah, and I know the kids are going to love it. If the content and the activities 
the lessons are interesting, well then they will enjoy the learning in the classroom. Otherwise they'll go elsewhere to look for how they're going to learn, I believe. So to answer the same question, so we've seen a, a dramatic improvement in leadership over COVID, both in education but also in enterprise and corporations. Um, one of the biggest things we're seeing is that leaders are far more connected to their team. And the reason for that is that they're talking to their team about their well-being. I was running a Zoom with a group of quite senior leaders in a serious organisation and the, the trust in this group was really high and we had 360-degree feedback from 2019 and we compared it to May, I think we did it, so right in the middle of COVID. They went up on communication, collaboration, clarity of direction, everything. And one of the biggest things that came out is that because they couldn't micromanage their people, they were actually leading. So rather than they sitting next to them watching them work, they were going, here's the outcome I need, here is the result I want, do you need any help to get there? So they were actually leading, going, this is the result, you find the way, you have the autonomy, you can find your own way there. And the biggest thing was the checking in on well-being, where they actually said to people, are you okay? Like, how are you doing? And in this group that have very high trust, one of the leaders goes, I ask my team that every day. I'm not really interested in the answer. Like, it's a courtesy thing. But during COVID, I was actually, are you all right? How do I help you? What's going on? How's the family? And what leaders as well as team members said is because we were having conversations about what was happening for us, we got to know people on a deeper level and that built connection. So even though we're more dispersed, we're actually more connected than we've ever been. Ro, going back to one of your points that the school stuff was saying we just had one purpose are we just trying to do too many things and is it that we start to bring it back and have clarity around that as an outsider of education I stand from the sidelines and I look at what is imposed on educators and I look at some of the decisions that are made by people that are very removed from the classroom and I just, just go like how could you do that I don't get yeah. Yeah, my heart breaks for educators on so many levels. Like the greatest leader I've ever come across was a guy that ran a telco in Australia for a while. And when this guy was making a decision that would affect the contact centre, he would go sit in the contact centre for a day and go, yep. show me how you work. Or if he was going to make a decision that cut this, he'd go, all right, like, I need to understand that. And these people would crawl across broken glass with this guy because he would. Yeah. And my frustration or my sadness for education is you have these incredibly dedicated and skilled people who get decisions pushed down on them because of some sort of political agenda. And mm. it's really heartbreaking. And it all comes yeah. back to what I was saying before, though. Um, if the only measures that we take as being important are those summative measures at the end of a student's learning career, mm. then how do we know that a teacher is productive? You know, that idea that you've got to be there and see them working and know that it's happening rather than it being the product outcome. Yeah. What are students producing? Yeah. Let's have a look at that. 
when the mm. teacher's doing this, what are the students producing as a result? And mm. is that a good artifact that really demonstrates they've reached a learning outcome? I think we need to start talking to teachers and asking different sorts of questions around what is important now, given that we have a diminishing of those summative assessment measures because we yeah. know what the results are going to be anyway. Yeah. Um, mm. And what will teaching start looking like in that context? And I think that we've seen through COVID some good and some very bad leaders. So yeah. I think it's really highlighted the good and the bad and probably the ugly as well. Yeah. That shows my age. <laughs> but what we've also seen, yeah, I agree with you. And bringing in a new way of, say, assessing, which is what you're talking about, a different type of assessment to what we're used to. What we're really saying is that this stuff is really important. This is what teachers do. Yeah. The students go and sit the exam at the end. All this stuff that teachers do in preparing them and understanding where, how they learn and the most effective methods, let's look at that. Let's see that as the great professional work of teachers. And I think that they've started to build that understanding really well with parents mm -hmm. now. They're engaging with them through this remote learning. Mm -hmm. So I think that coaching of parents to be much more involved in their students' learning has been a fantastic outcome because parents have such a, a good understanding of the complexities of teaching now. <laughs> yeah, yes, you only have to look at the social media to see how many yeah. people are going, never again will I say anything about a teacher. Now I've seen what they, how do they do this with 30 or 25 yeah, in the class? That's how not how my teacher teaches me how to write, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> so there's been some really positive things coming out of all of this, hasn't there? I also wonder about what if we stay the course now yeah, and we throw some things away and we look to developing what we really want to be the outcome of education. I wonder what it's going to look like in two to five years, perhaps two to three more years. Be interesting. Wellbeing is up front and centre. The wellbeing not just of your teachers, but of your students and your families. I mean, schools are seen as communities, aren't they? And one of the things that I did hear the leadership team talk about last week was they actually have missed some of the big community activities that they would do together with the parents and community, right, and the students. They're yeah. missing that. So, you know, we talked about that and, you know, if you were able to have it, how would it look now? How might you make it look now? It doesn't have to be the same as it always was. It could be in a different form. But that was one of the things they said they missed, those big moments, whether it was a multicultural day or whether whatever it was, Founders Day, whether it was National Reconciliation Week, whatever, even an athletics carnival, the sporting teams on the weekends debating. So there's a whole lot of things that perhaps are going to be lost or can be done differently. I think evolved differently. I mean, we see in the entertainment mm. industry how much has been done there with the online concerts and live jamming sessions and those sorts of things. I think that's that it. whole idea of freeing teachers to teach, that's the goal that I want to see us achieve out of this, giving teachers the autonomy to say what teaching should be, allowing them to lead within their own practice and lead the practice of others, which they do so superbly and which those standards for teachers actually talk about how a lead teacher leads the learning yeah. that happens within the school and lifts the practice of the teachers, the highly accomplished teacher who is working within their own classroom and the classroom next door, whether classrooms in fact have any context in the future, 
but um, working to develop the practice of those who are close to them. And then the proficient teacher who is making sure that that student is reaching the outcomes that they want. It's a collective intelligence, isn't it? And how we continue to grow that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and collaboration to, you know, lift the profession. I heard it at one point that it's the only profession where you're expected to walk in on day one and teach straight away. You know, in, in law, for example, or anything like yeah. that, you get handled through that to make sure that you've got it right before you go in and have to face the court. <laughs> they don't put you in on day one, yeah. but we do it to, straight away to our teachers. You know, if that's not going to make them resilient, then what is? <laughs> well, hmm. well, the resiliency skills are massive, aren't they? And hmm. we can break them down into the micro-resiliency tools as well so little things at each day but our beginning our early career teachers and our experienced teachers there's such a great relationship that can be developed there for the craft for all those different things that you're developing apart from teaching content because we know that managing people and managing children isn't always easy yeah, definitely not. No. <laughs> it's really not easy at all. Adam knows. <laughs> so um, Alex has also said, you know, be flexible with teachers. Now, I know Alex is a teacher at one of our um, inner city schools. You know, she wants adults that can be professional and do the best with their students. Solutions to staff having time off or starting late or going home, a little bit of flexibility. And I agree with her, being treated as an adult in the work that you do and what you love to do is a major plus and it should be that we all earn that it should be that being treated like an adult is upfront and central yeah. they they come to the classroom with the skill set why would someone else be saying what it should be so um i think giving that trust to the teacher to get on with the task and freeing them up to be able to do it to the way in which they think it will work best is mm. important because they are professionals in this. So is the reason we don't do that because the politicians worried about being on the front page of the Daily Telegraph because a teacher did something out of the norm or tried to teach their way and someone complained and didn't get a score? Like political response to problems is let's just regulate the hell out of it. Like let's just pile regulation upon mm. regulation so that at least they can go, well, we tried. And is it the same thing with education? Like, you know, local decisions, local schools, local decisions will give you the power or will micromanage the hell out of you to make sure you don't get anything wrong ever because we don't want to get in tr trouble. That's right, yes. So that level of accountability that is placed on compliance mm. takes away any innovation or risk-taking and you do it the way you've always done it. And uh, it has to be across the board, consistent and... Yeah, and then if the measure is the HSC and the kids are doing brilliantly in the HSC, then why change anything? Yeah. Well, it's perception, isn't it? A public perception about the value of your school, whether your kids look great in their uniforms. Oh, it's quite complex, really. But if you are an independent school, you are autonomous and you are accountable to yourself if you are part of a system yeah. there is support there but there's also regulation yeah yeah and uh, we're highly funded in australia for a lot of our schooling and we basically are living in an economically engineered world different people use education 
and expect different things. But I think the common denominator is that most parents, I would say, want the best outcomes for their kids. Hopefully, that if they've had a good experience themselves of going through school and education, they want that same experience for their kids, even though there's decades of difference in how things are done. Yeah. So it's an interesting, it's quite complex, I think. Christian, you were going to say something. We had in New Zealand the Christchurch incident and how all the schools had to go to remote learning there. And as a result of that, the student learning went up. So there was an improvement in student learning because there was a period of time which they didn't learn. They weren't under pressure. They were. They actually had time to, and this will speak to you, Adam, and your work. It was restorative for them. They had an opportunity to restore their energy, to revitalize, and they came back to the learning with a much more focused mindset, which enabled them to achieve better results. So I'm really interested to see what might happen. This situation that we have with COVID where um, our students have had a bit of a break. Hopefully our teachers have managed to have a bit of a break, but I suspect that many of them probably haven't. And what that impact will be on the learning of our students. Will we see, like Christchurch, will we see that students have not had any deficit to their learning at all and in most cases improved? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then maybe we need to even look at how we time schools differently. Maybe we need to look at what a school is. I'm comfortable in saying, well, let's let's rethink schooling. Let's let's look at it differently. Yeah, let's let Adam have his kids home every day, all day. <laughs> but you know what's interesting is uh, a lot of feedback was family said we've enjoyed that activities were cancelled. A friend of mine, he has a wonderful daughter. I think she's 14. She's very talented at different sports and she has a very full life. And as the restrictions were being lifted, he said, well, AFL's back on, soccer's back on. And she burst into tears at the dinner table and went, I just don't want to go back to how it was. Like I've enjoyed the slowness. And family were saying, you know, Saturday would be a military operation. Three kids, they're And, and the mum said, I would get anxiety on a Friday night. Mm. Oh, Adam, we've got four children. Oh. So the weekends, especially in winter, they all played soccer in various positions. So it was ice packs on the ready, apart from two of us splitting up and going around to the games. But it was ice packs at the ready and then it was physiotherapy for the rest of the week. So <laughs> I mean, it, was, it, was, it was pretty interesting. <laughs> But, you know, going back to what you were saying there about that Saturday morning and how the anxiety you feel when you know you've just got this military exercise to try and get to this on time. And if we don't leave there by a quarter to nine, then we're never going to get there. That whole just do, 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 do culture has been flipped on its head. We've now had time to think. We've had time to connect. And look how fast we have been in innovating around our health areas it's been absolutely incredible i'm always saying to schools you need to give teachers time to think because that time to think is when innovation happens and it's that restorative time as well when they they can start to question how they've done things in the past and think about how they might do things differently and the same for students Sorry, Adam. It's time to reflect. 
and not to feel guilty about spending the time. Mm. I think that's the other part of it because often we think we've got to be busy, busy. Actually, we need to be productive, reflective and productive. And um, that's when, yeah, those great ideas come. I felt really great when I was talking to this team last week when they were able to say, look, we didn't get this bit right. And if we go into this situation again, this is what we know we've learnt, right? These are all the pluses from it. I've had a, a very enjoyable conversation with you both tonight. Is there one last thing you'd like to just say to um, anyone who has children in schools, anyone who has a major interest in education at the moment, around what we could possibly do with what we've learned from COVID? So obviously we're continuing to work with the Flourish movement and the wellbeing of right. yep. Out of COVID, two things have happened Number one, we're working on this thing called the Bounce Project, and that is where we're working with a cluster of schools to analyse what was great about COVID and how do they not revert back. The problem after a crisis is we tend to keep that behaviour for a little while and then we quickly revert back. So the reason we're doing all this analysis about what parents thought, what leaders thought, what staff thought, what directors thought, is to go... You know, Ro, some of those questions you asked about, well, what did we stop and we didn't miss? <laughs> and why don't we keep doing that? So what we're working with is in that group is how do they learn from COVID and evolve forward? And the second big thing we're really focusing on is how do we start to get students more comfortable with struggle and failure and setback and you know, we're doing a webinar on the 18th of August, one for educators at 4pm and one for parents at 7pm about this issue of struggle and how you support kids through struggle and discomfort. And particularly what we're looking at is the conversations we have with people in discomfort. Because what we've got really good at is reducing the stigma of mental health or, or distress or anxiety, where we really struggle is the ability to have a conversation that mm. guides someone through that. What our research is really focusing on is how do we get an entire school culture to give children a consistent experience whenever they hit discomfort, whether it's learning or social. So they're the two things that we're... Mm. focusing on moving forward in our research and our work. You came to see that, what comes out of that yeah. and understand it better. We should do it over a croissant. Definitely, <laughs> and, and a really nice cup of coffee or wine. Uh, one of the things that I think I haven't really mentioned is, and that I think it's absolutely essential, is the student voice in all of this. Oh. And that is so important. What was it that worked for you? and asking them, how did this help you more than this? What was more beneficial in getting you to that result? I'd really be keen to be working with a group like the Pivot Professional Learning to try and see what that's starting to look like. And I know they're doing some work in that area already, so I'm hoping that they'll be um, putting out a bit of research on that. I'll be hosting one of these on the Tuesday night, so I'm going to have to ask you for a recording oh, or access okay. on your website or something. <laughs> but um, that will be a fantastic webinar to be part of. Your book is available in most of the bookshops. Is that correct, uh, Stride? Yeah, if, you, if you're allowed in. Or just con or go to our website. You go to your website. Go online. To your website. 
Boat Online, yeah. 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 And it's in Kindle version as well as paperback? I thought so, yeah. Great. And Adam, what's your best contact details if someone would like to actually look further into your work? Yeah, Fantastic. But look, I've um fascinating conversation tonight. And at this point in time, there's no one recipe that's going to make the most magnificent education cake out of all this. It's a recipe that's going to involve observation, yeah. our insights, our looking at solutions. But I do know that our well-being, our thriving sits underneath all of this because the only way we can show up daily is with some really good self-management skills, with some healthy options, with a way of looking at the world where we know we can contribute. And listeners, you've just heard from two two of Australia's highly respected and experienced educators in their field. I just have enjoyed the conversation so much and I thank you for your time tonight. Can I just um, say one thing? I want to push bundle loads of empathy to all our colleagues in Melbourne because they're doing it tough. It's really, really difficult for them right now. And they've had this whole remote learning and now they're going back to it again. And it's been a very sudden chop and change. So I have bundles and oodles of empathy for the likes of Summer Howarth. Anna Masters. Anna Masters. Yep. Catherine Hoekman. <laughs> and, and another group to look up is a group called Heaven at the Hill. They're doing amazing, amazing work. Uh, they're feeding international students, hundreds of international students every single day. Yeah. So they're cooking and feeding them every day. Heaven at the Hill. So um, some wonderful, wonderful things that have come out of this situation. Yeah. Thank you, Rishim. Well, everyone, that's all we're doing tonight. If you'd like to know more about what I do, carriebenedette.com is where you find me. Facebook, LinkedIn, all those. My extreme appreciation for both of you tonight. So, everybody, thanks again. Your thriving matters. Make sure you go gently. Look after those that you love and send out prayers, wishes, whatever it is, out to the universe for all those who are not doing so well, particularly in this virus season. Be talking with you again, Adam. See you soon.